1: The Cohen brothers have made some of the most beloved films of the last few decades, including Fargo and The Big Lebowski, and now Ethan Cohen has made his first narrative feature without a sibling and longtime collaborator, Joel. Drive Away Dolls is a shaggy comedy about a couple of lesbian friends who take a road trip and unwittingly find themselves wrapped up in a bizarre criminal caper. There's a strange briefcase, a shady senator, and some psychedelic vibes, which makes for one weird little movie. I'm Aisha Harris, and today we're talking about driveaway dolls on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Joining me today is NPR Culture Desk correspondent Chloe Veltman. Hey, Chloe, welcome back.
2: Hey, Aisha, nice to be here.
1: Great to have you. And also here is Vulture TV critic Roxana Hadadi. Welcome back to you too, Roxana.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Yes, great to have you both here. So, um, In Drive-Away Dolls, Margaret Qualley and Geraldine Viswanathan play Jamie and Marion, polar opposite friends who are living in 1999 Philadelphia. After Jamie breaks up with her girlfriend, she decides to tag along with Marion on a trip to visit Marion's aunt in Tallahassee. A comedy of errors leads to the women unknowingly renting a car involved in a mysterious crime plot. And as they make their way down south, they're chased down by a team of crooks who are led by the chief, who's played by Coleman Domingo. Beanie Feldstein also stars as Jamie's vengeful ex, Suki, as does Matt Damon, who plays a Florida senator named Gary Channel. That is such a Florida senator name, it feels like. <laughs> the movie was directed by Ethan Cohen, who co wrote the screenplay with his wife, Trisha Cook. Cook has worked as an editor with Ethan and his brother Joel on a lot of their films in the past, including Barton Fink and Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Drive-Away Dolls is in theatres now, and Chloe, let's start with you. What are your initial thoughts about
2: Drive-Away Dolls? Well, Aisha, it's interesting to hear you mention in your introduction, Comedy of Errors. (laughs) <laughs> because, you know, I feel like this movie, which I felt was such a fun little romp, follows this long tradition of stories about young women going on journeys together, you know, dating all the way back to Shakespeare and beyond, where you have one character who's more worldly and another who's more demure. Yeah, And of course, all the way through to Thelma and Louise and beyond, similar kind of plotline. But I will say... Even though, in a sense, this film follows along these kind of old grooves, it's so much fun. And it's really rare in this time of bloated films, of three hours in length, to have a film that truly, for me anyway, leaves you wanting more. And, you know, I read that Ethan Cohen, you know, it being his solo directorial debut for a feature film, uh, was kind of feeling pretty jaded about the filmmaking process. And this feels very much like a breath of fresh air kind of return because it's so goofy. Even the trailer made me laugh. You know, nothing is belabored, which I really love about this. So, yeah, I mean, I, I had a lovely time, honestly.
1: Yeah, I think goofy is a great word for this. It is definitely a movie that... Feels very. I, I said Shaggy earlier. It feels like Shaggy and Goofy. Like that is what this movie is, and it feels very different from a lot of the films that he has made with his brother, Roxana. How about you?
3: Where Where are you at with this movie? You know, it's funny that you mentioned Shaggy and Goofy because those terms make me think of like a Scooby Doo episode. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, and that's yes.
3: Sort of how I felt about the film. I really liked parts of this. I agree with Chloe that it doesn't feel like it's taking itself too seriously. It feels like it's doing something fun and sort of whimsical in terms of its pacing and in terms of how these characters relate to each other and their friendship. But I wanted more, not in terms of more continuation of the story. I wanted more from the story itself, I think. Mm. I wanted more from these characters. I wanted a little bit more from their motivations and from their friendship. There were certain times where we are told, like, they've been friends for X number of years, and I did not feel that in their interactions. So I I have a very mixed reaction that it took me back to some of the Coen brothers' works together, which are a little more ragged around the edges, like a little more Hudsucker proxy, maybe Mm. than No Country for Old Men. But (laughs) I I, I sort of felt like it just wasn't my tempo. And I've been struggling to articulate why, but I think the Scooby-Doo of it might be the key. To figuring that out. Well, I mean, it is very, very
2: cartoonish, right? Yeah. But I think yeah. that kind of breathless quality where, you know, we're moving on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Phil, you know, I've had that same feeling with you, Roxana. i like, you know, where's the meat in this? It all feels very slight. But on the yeah. other hand, it also made me think there's an perhaps an intentionality to that, this kind of idea that, you know, when when you're very young and there's nothing else in the world except this other person and this trip that you're on and nothing else, matters.
1: Yeah, you know. Yeah,
2: for me, it felt like that quality was very much baked into the plot. But you know, of course, you sacrifice other things like actual character, (laughs) story development, right?
3: Yeah, and I think I would need the chemistry, and the chemistry between these actresses was not there for me. I never bought it as a romantic chemistry. I bought it as Mm. two friends who are hanging out, but also aren't really similar and are just friends by virtue of being in the same place at the same time this is a movie that
1: you know after it ended at the screening i was at i turned to my friend who was sitting next to me and there was a moment that felt straight out of a movie where we both like slowly swiveled our head towards each other and our faces were like uh. <laughs> <laughs> like our our teeth were gritted and we were like ah mm-hmm. what was this <laughs> <laughs> and and I can see a world where this becomes sort of a cult classic that people will go to bat for years from now and be like, no, actually you didn't get this when this movie came out. No one understood this movie. I don't understand this movie. I also have the same kind of reaction that you did, Roxana, where I literally wrote in my notes about 25 minutes into this film in all caps. Why are they friends? Yeah. Like I don't <laughs> they don't seem to have anything in common except that they're both queer. And There are examples of this throughout film and TV where, you know, you have these polar opposite friends. As you were mentioning, Chloe, this goes back centuries. But I think that the fact that they are not supposed to be in high school or college, they are young adults, they're in their 20s-ish, but, like, they clearly have this robust queer woman community and an early scene they are in a, a lesbian bar packed bar yeah mm-hmm. and it's packed and they, they seem mm-hmm. to have all these friends and yet they are going on this road trip together and that chemistry i didn't understand why the um, marion character who is just so bland and talks kind of monotone and isn't really like she doesn't Want to have fun, and she's depressed. And then the the Jamie character is the complete opposite. I didn't understand what drew them to each other. Their circumstances don't lead me to believe that they like have to be friends. And like, why would
2: they go on this road trip? So to me, that was the biggest hurdle. yeah. I mean, I used the sexual attraction there. And, and, you know, maybe it only emerges later. But, you know, it's, <laughs> I think there's there's that, at least. And I don't know. I mean, I think, again, it's such a slight movie. It is very hard to kind of grasp what on earth they're doing together. But, I mean you don't believe then neither of you in the kind of uh, latent shall we say sexual attraction that underpins I feel it kind of bubbles up slowly
1: I mean I don't know about you Roxana, but I think what me and Roxana might be circling around is that like this could have worked if the script felt more developed yeah like it felt like this was a first draft of a movie yeah you know there are some really fun throwaway lines here and there throughout the movie where I chuckled and I was like oh this is funny there's a moment where a character is like why would anybody save me and it's done in this very like overly dramatic moment and I I, I chuckled but I don't think like the chemistry is part of it but then also the script itself just feels like it's not it's not giving that banter I think it thinks it has banter but for me at least it didn't I don't know about you Roxana.
3: no I agree with that I don't think that there is a ton of banter I personally will admit I just thought Margaret Qualley was miscast. I did not Mm. buy her in this role. I wish, in a way, that the casting had been flipped. Because Geraldine Visnawatin is so funny in Blockers and Miracle Workers. And she has this very vivacious energy, very infectious, very beguiling. And so I really wanted to see her let loose in this film. And I'm just not really yeah. sure that we ever get there. Uh, whereas I think Margaret Qualley is doing like a spin on Brad Pitt in Thelma and Louise, which is fun. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. yeah. I just wasn't convinced by it. And so I just think a lot of the dialogue felt, yes, first e, but also sort of like tiptoeing up to political satire We don't have to spoil that, but I I do think this movie ends with an attempt at commentary on where the country is going. It's in 1999, as we Mm -hmm. talked about. I think there is a nod to political, partisan, family values stuff that I I just don't think the movie entirely delivers on. I don't know. I think a half hour. I'm so sorry to say this movie should have been two hours. (laughs) But a half hour, I think, to like flesh out stuff a little bit more and maybe drive home that angle a little bit further and let Geraldine do what she does really well. I don't I don't know. Maybe I would have been charmed. But as Mm. it is, I just I was like, oh, we're doing like a. Microsoft 96 fade in between <laughs> these scenes.
2: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I also thought there was something so beautiful about the visual style of it, you know, the wacky camera angles. Yes, I did mm, like that. All yeah. the different colours and a certain artfulness too. I mean, we see a corkscrew show up in an early scene and in a, and then a bit much later you see this kind of old-fashioned corkscrew-like drill show up in a completely different Environment. You know, Mm -hmm. I feel like there was a a great artfulness, uh, but but I enjoyed the fact that it didn't whack you over the head with a message. Everything's just kind of hinted at really subtly. I mean, of course, you know, it bears mentioning that I feel like there are some cliches in this film, too. The whole team of women soccer players, that scene there. I don't know how you all feel about that. Mm
4: -hmm. So you were there? (laughs) UNG soccer team. I was in line next to Doreen the captain they're very committed lesbians and they're on their way to marietta georgia
3: which is practically on our way should we look at the map see how long at the map after today's game these girls are gonna have a basement party
1: well so we should briefly explain that scene which is that you know while they're on this trip um jamie of course the margaret Qualley character she is she's a very horny character she is <laughs> unabashedly horny and she wants to seek out any way to hook up with other women and so they come across a, a women's soccer team and they're having a basement party and a basement party which i should note, like i do not identify as queer or lesbian the basement makeout party includes the soundtrack of linda ronstadt's blue bayou i don't know if that's a specifically queer woman thing but like that was obviously meant for for laughs so that that's the scene you're describing chloe that, Yeah, that that felt cliche to you
2: well you know a little <laughs> yes a lot <laughs> okay
1: <laughs> Fair,
2: <laughs> there is power in those cliches sometimes. I don't know how it will go across, yeah, I
3: also don't know how the ending will go across in terms of what we learn is in the mysterious suitcase. yes yeah. <laughs> i'm I'm very curious how people feel about what we learn is in the mysterious suitcase. I will say it's not a Ronin situation. We do actually see what is in there, oh, do we? We definitely do. We definitely do. And again, I do not identify as lesbian, so I was perplexed by how fascinated they were by what they find in the suitcase. I don't know if I should say more but I'm curious what you guys thought.
1: (laughs) I do think it's interesting if you know a little bit of the backstory of this film and of Trisha cook and Ethan Cohen's relationship, they have been married for a long time, but she initially identified as a lesbian and they got married, they have kids. And I think she identifies now as queer. Um, In recent interviews, she's identified as queer. Mm -hmm. So there's interesting backstory there that I think kind of directly funnels into what is being seen in this film. And I'm, Look forward to hearing from other perspectives about sort of how that plays because, yes, Roxana,
3: it is, it is, it's a little. It's complex. Yeah,
1: Even though this movie is very, in many ways, simple on its surface, it is kind of complex in other ways, too. I
3: think the ending is the most fascinating thing when you know that backstory. Yeah, I don't know if the movie itself makes for the ending being compelling if you don't.
2: I do think we have to also mention uh, Beanie Feldstein's role in this
3: movie, right? (laughs) As a cop. (laughs) As a cop.
2: A badass cop uh, reminding us, taking us back to the Badass female cop in the Coen brothers movie Fargo, of course, played by Frances McDormand. But yeah, I mean, I, I loved her. And, you know, this is an actress who very strongly identifies with the queer community. I wanted to see more of her in this movie mm-hmm. i really appreciate everything she does you know especially in, for example movies like book smart and i think here she she is some one of the elements that really enlivens this whole film
1: and i think that's the other thing chloe's this has such a huge eclectic cast um, including some cameos that we won't mention but like <laughs> They all feel they're cameos or they feel very underused in a way. And, you know, if they just had, again, Roxana, I'm with you. How how am I saying that a movie should be longer? But I do think it should have been
2: longer. (laughs) I would have enjoyed it if it was longer. Yeah, I think there just would have
3: been more connective tissue between this. And Beanie is doing something really fun. She's taking like... The frantic energy of her Ladybird character, of her yelling Mm -hmm. at Ladybird and putting it (laughs) into being a cop.
0: Officer Krasick said I could speak to my attorney.
3: Officer Krasick ain't running booking. I'm running booking, Jack. You want me to walk over there and kick your number running ass back into the Delaware river? Who's running booking? You are. Who is? You are. Again, that sort of like pro cop or like cop empathy perspective yeah. is sort of complicated in 2024. So I think again the movie yes. does sort of take this like is this good representation or not question and yeah. just throw it at us and make us I decide. Mean it-
1: I will say the way that
3: character is written, it, it is a little com- complicated, but I
1: also think like she is exactly the type of person who should definitely not be a cop, just the way <laughs> she reacts to, to things. So I, it, it could, I think it's a little bit more critical of, of. Ups, perhaps, yes. I had
2: a lot of fun watching her
1: <laughs> Well, I think it's safe to say we're we're a little divided or mixed on how we reacted, and I'm very curious to hear as more people see this, uh, what they think about this. Uh, so you should definitely tell us what you think about Drive Away Dolls. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com pchh. And up
4: next, what's making us happy this week? This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp. When you keep your stress bottled up, it can eat away at you. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to make them better. Try BetterHelp Online Therapy, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp at betterhelp.com NPR today to get 10% off your first month.
0: This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life, Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit teladochealth.com slash whatsyourwhy for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C health slash Why. Support for NPR comes from ADP. Say you own a business, then suddenly a solar flare adds an extra hour to each day. Would you add an extra shift? Shift office hours? Install those weird sleeping pod things? You can try to figure it out on your own or just get ADP. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to help your business take on the next anything. Even unexplainable cosmic events that end up granting humanity an extra hour a day. ADP, always designing for people.
1: Well, now it's time for our favorite segment of this week and every week, What's Making Us Happy? Chloe, let's start with you.
2: Oh, well, I have had the pleasure of reading the novel upon which the big movie Poor Things is based. Hmm. It's a novel by Alistair Gray, who is a Scottish author. And I love this book so much. I preferred it very much to the movie. But the novel, which is also a a big fat read, it's so bizarre. It's written in letters half the time. It's much more complicated than the film. In fact, I find it extraordinary that someone would read this book and think it could make a good film honestly mm-hmm. but it's so fun to read everything's just much more chewy more complicated and the other thing i really love about this book is it's very scottish you know it's, <laughs> it's it which is all completely lost in the film but you know you really get a sense of this story being rooted in in scottish landscapes and the sensibility of the scottish people of course all of that is missing in the movie but i had lots of fun Reading that this week. So this is the the novel version of Poor Things by Alistair Gray. Great,
3: thank you so much, Chloe. Mm-hmm. Roxana, what is making you happy? What has been making me happy this week is something that's been making me happy for like two months, which is my first from the beginning watch of Homicide: Life on the Street. Um, <sighs> Wait, how? We bought the DVD. When it came out, like, years ago. So we had the DVD box set. We bought it along with The Wire and Generation Kill. And it was, like, a real, like, David Simon spree at the time. It sat Mm -hmm. on our DVD case. (laughs) One of eight DVD cases. And we finally have started watching it. And by started watching it, I mean burning through episodes. I love it so Mm. much. And on Ah. the one hand... I love it because, like I said, like I do like the Wire, I have read David Simon's books, I live in a suburb outside Baltimore, so a lot of this is very like look at these places that I recognize and a culture that I you know was exposed to when I worked in Baltimore for eight and a half years, but the other part of it is just. Each episode is so well constructed, so well written. These characters are so rich and deep. The acting is just phenomenal. I mean, like, what is there to say about like Andre Brower? You can't say anything that hasn't already been said. I love watching a show that even for that time, was critical about the role. Of the police and critical about the work and about its impact on the community, so I've really enjoyed that. I really do think that it is worth buying the entire DVD box set because who knows if it's going to be on streaming anytime soon. Homicide: Life on the Street has been what is making me happy. Uh, I'm I
1: might just break down eventually and do it. I've only seen like a few episodes when I borrowed someone's copy of the DVD. Yeah. Yes, it is amazing. And also just Andre Barr. I'm still reeling from that. So yeah. Ugh, thank you. You might have just convinced me to finally plunk down that, that money for this show. Do it. <laughs> well, what's making me happy is The Taste of Things, which is a new movie. Uh, it premiered last year at the festivals, but now it's finally here in the States in theaters. And it's directed by Tran An Hung. And it's this Remarkably beautiful food porny film that is set in the late 19th century. It stars Juliette Binoche, who plays a personal cook to a well to do gourmand played by Benoit Majamel. They've collaborated in the kitchen together for decades and they share this very complex romantic relationship. The first 15, 20 minutes of this movie is just them making food. A 19th century kitchen and it's all by hand and you can like almost smell and taste the food. And um, our very own NPR reporter, Elizabeth Blair, actually did a segment recently uh, talking about how all of the raw ingredients and all of the things that we see on screen are actually real, like the meats, the sauces, the veggies – All the the meals, uh, unlike on a lot of Hollywood sets or on a lot of movie sets where they're using substitutions and they aren't edible, apparently everything was real. Like the director insisted on it and you can tell. Oh my goodness. And on top of that, it's just like a really beautiful, beautiful love story. It just kind of knocked me off my feet. So I think everyone should see it. And I'm just going to parrot every other review I've read of this, which is like, don't go into this movie hungry because you will come out your stomach will will hate you for it (laughs) but your mind and your heart will be enriched so that is the taste of things and hopefully you can find it in your local theater or just put it in your pocket and wait for it to show up on VOD and if you want links for what we recommended plus some more recommendations you can sign up for our newsletter at npr.org slash pop culture newsletter that brings us to the end of our show. Roxana Hadadi, Chloe Veltman, thanks so much for being here. This was a pleasure.
2: Thank you. Thanks so much, Aisha. And this episode
1: was produced by Liz Metzger and edited by Mike Katzif and Jessica Reedy. Hello, Commin provides our theme music. And thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Aisha
4: Harris, and we'll see you all next week. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute plus tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel get rosetta stone's lifetime membership for 50 percent off and unlimited access to 25 language courses learn more at rosettastone.com npr all that sitting and swiping your body is adapting to your technology learn how and what you can do about it i really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated